Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those that are new, I just want to briefly mention to you that I am here seeking to speak as the oracles of God, what the Holy Spirit would be saying to you as an individual and to the body of Christ at this particular time. As it says in the Word of God in 1 Peter, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, we are to seek to have God speak through us, not our words, but his words. Which is basically learning to be in an abiding relationship with God that allows his spirit to be able to speak through us. As it says in the word of God in Revelations, Concerning John as he fell prostrate before the angel in awe, the angel said to him, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Worship God. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, it allows the Spirit of God to greatly abide and dwell in us. And out of that issues forth the spirit of prophecy, which is basically speaking those words that are from God that truly testify of the reality of who Jesus Christ is, who is God manifest in the flesh. And so I will seek to share with you what I believe the Holy Spirit has been sharing not only believe, but I know that God is sharing with me to share with the body of Christ. I'm going to be choosing two passages of scripture out of the many passages I received in the last while, which I believe are particularly significant. One is 2 Samuel chapter 5, and the other passage of scripture is Deuteronomy. I believe it's chapter 7 in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and D. So I'm not going to read particularly everything in 2 Samuel chapter 5, but I want to start with some of the parts of the scripture there um, that are important. I will just turn first of all to that passage, which is 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Okay, one moment here and we will be there. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Okay. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David in Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that had led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. 
So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. <clears throat> Continuing in verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. Thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter, and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame and the blind, hated of David's soul. And I'm skipping the italics here that isn't in the Hebrew. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort, and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. I just want to pray for a moment here. Father in heaven, I thank you for what you are saying from your word today to the body of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would cause me to speak as the oracles of God and be hidden, that you would be glorified, that people would truly see the reality of Jesus Christ, his revelation for this hour to them in order to be prepared for your soon return. Thank you in your holy name. Amen. In this passage of scripture, we recognize that this was the establishment of Zion, the city of David, and that to establish the city of Zion, he needed to overcome the Jebusites. Now, first of all, I want to give us an understanding of the, the spiritual significance of the word Zion and the symbolic significance of this word that goes beyond just the natural geographical uh, city of David, which is described as the city of Zion. In the Hebrew, Zion has a particular meaning. It means a monumental or guiding pillar. And that particular word, Zion, which would be pronounced Sion, Sion, and also pronounced Siun, a monumental or guiding pillar, also has a particular meaning in the symbolic letters. The root letters are the first one in the root letter 
Tzu is the symbol of a waiting. It's, it kind of looks like it's someone that is waiting to jump on the prey. That's what it symbolizes. It's meaning in this symbol, which is kind of like a crooked pathway, but also looks like someone coiled up, ready to spring on something. It's a squiggle with a head at the end that looks kind of like a snake with a big head, but really it's the symbol of a man lying down ready to pounce on something. So it means basically to wait, but it also means to snare and to pursue and to hunt. That's the understanding of the first letter in this word. And the next letter, which is ya, yad, the yad, and it is the symbol that means it's like it's the picture of a hand, including the elbow, and it means worship as well as work. It means activity. So on the one hand, you have the significance of the word waiting on God, and the other is the significance of the word in this particular symbol. The second letter is emphasizing worship. It's waiting on God and worshiping God. But it has the meaning of a monumental or guiding pillar. It also has the meaning of desert in this root word. That is the other way this root word is used, which speaks of thirst. And so when we understand Zion, which speaks of the city of David, we have in that understanding a number of things. First, for God, waiting on God and worshiping God. And that this establishes a monumental guiding pillar. And God, when he establishes his house, his church, it is established as a house of prayer. We know and are familiar with the verses that say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I want to continue to point out another passage of scripture that uses the word Zion in the New Testament. And it says in this passage here, if I have it here, the right one, I actually have to open up this other thing. I didn't paste it in here, but it'll be quick to open up the other one here. So I have them both here. Um, and this is, the, in fact, I'll just uh, copy that right now and paste it in there. Um, just quickly. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12, 22 to 29. But here come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. 
see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The Lord in these last days will tolerate nothing less than his full purpose being established throughout the earth before his coming. In fact, he says in Isaiah, as truly as I live, says the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And though I don't know the exact place in Isaiah, there's another passage that says that he will fill the earth with praise and worship as the buds that spring out of the garden. God will establish his new Jerusalem in each city and in each community on the earth before he returns, which will be the habitation of his glory, the dwelling place of God Almighty among men. He, in fact, the word of God says that we are to give him no rest until Jerusalem goes forth as a torch that burns bright. And that doesn't mean just the Jerusalem in Israel. It means the Jerusalem where you are in your community. If it isn't established, you should be seeking God with vision and passion that it is established. The Lord wept over Jerusalem because they were not ready for his visitation. And because they were not ready for his visitation, they went through terrible judgment. Oh, that you would have known the hour of your visitation as he wept, speaking of Jerusalem. And God is wanting us as individuals to know the hour of his visitation in our lives. And also as we gather corporately in the body of Christ. It is the zeal of God that John 17 is completely be fulfilled. And that is because he's coming back for his bride. That is what he's coming for. I'm not into when the Lord is returning. He is coming soon, and he will have his bride. The question is this, whether we are walking in such a relationship with him, in such a love relationship with him, that we will be those that are the ten wise virgins that enter in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
that are part of that first resurrection in which the second death has no power. It involves the establishment of the government of God in our own lives personally and corporately. And so when we read this passage in 2 Samuel 5, which is the establishment of Zion, the city of David, which will be also where the New Jerusalem comes down, ultimately, in the very end, when the new heaven and the new earth are created. We need to understand what God is requiring of us individually and corporately to establish his glory so that we cooperate with his purpose and pay the price to get out of the way of hindering his purpose in our lives individually and corporately. So the Jebusites were, withhold, were withstanding the establishment of the city of David. And so I want to look into what the Jebusites represent and what their meaning is. If you look up the word Jebusite, it means he will be trodden down. That's what the basic Hebrew word means. He will be trodden down. And if you look at the meaning of the root meaning of this word, Jebusite, meaning he will be trodden down. Or trample is another word for it. The first symbol letter is the symbol of habitation. It is the diagram of a tent seen from top view cut through. That meaning is the symbol of habitation, of dwelling. It means to inhabit place of comfort, of shelter. But the next word is the symbol of a thorn. In other words, and that word means to grab, to hate, and to protect. And so that thorn is coming against habitation. It is trying to trample the dwelling place of God. And that's the root meaning of Jebusite. It has the word Beth, and the word Sit is the root meaning. And of course, the whole word is Yebusi, 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 Jebusite. And when we see what King David faced, this is what we see. And this is what I briefly summed up on this. The establishment of Zion, that is Jerusalem, required that David conquer those that were accusing him of being blind and lame and sought to curse David with the lame and blind, that he might become lame and blind. David showed no mercy to those who were lame and blind. And of course, I'm not against the lame and I'm not against the blind. The blind. God's grace is with all of that. I am talking about a spiritual symbol here, and it is the lame 
and the blind. Those that are spiritually lame and blind, as they sought to curse him, to be like him. They sought to curse David. They wanted David to become lame. But David conquered the Jebusite and thus conquered and established Jerusalem. May we also conquer those that would falsely accuse us of being spiritually lame and blind, and above all, the enemy that would falsely accuse us of being spiritually lame and blind. Because when you buy into that, you get conformed to being lame and blind. May we not spare that which makes us spiritually lame and blind in our lives, but be courageous to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. He says that he gave unto his disciples power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. We are living in a time when God is attacking his when God when the God is trying to raise his people up, but the enemy is attacking God's people and accusing them of being who they are not. But because they buy into these suggestive lies, many of them become that. Now the Word of God also emphasizes another key in relation to overcoming being spiritually lame and blind, and that is found in Hebrews 12, 11 to 17. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And part of that defiling is to make people spiritually lame so that they do not walk in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meal sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. God establishes his authority in our lives when we allow him to fully abide with his presence in us. That requires that we choose of him the gold tried in the fire. In other words, we sincerely with all our heart pray to God and say, Lord, I would rather you judge me now in this life and put me through trials and testing 
so that there is not areas in my life that I'm holding on to. I'd rather you do that. And if it takes that to cause me to let go so that you can fully abide in my life, I choose to do so. And I want you to know right now, God, I am choosing to buy of you the gold tried in the fire. I am choosing to say, you are the potter fully over my life. And I want you to have your way in molding and making me and conforming me into your image. And I humble myself before you and ask that you give me the strength to take up the cross each day and deny myself and to let go of the things that I so easily deceive myself to being justified in your sight. Now remember that the establishment of Zion involves two things in the meaning of that word Zion. It involves thirst, it involves waiting on God, and it involves worshiping seeking and worshiping God. Brothers and sisters, I present before you this day that the body of Christ in the typical charismatic and Pentecostal church and other churches are not established as a house of prayer. They start their meetings singing their songs. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. It's wonderful to worship God in songs. But they do not start their meetings, yes, they may have pre-service prayer meetings, but in most local assemblies they are ill-attended, even before the main church service or whenever else they have them. It is not time for us to divide things like this. It is time to start our gathering around Jesus. And do you think that when we gather around Jesus Christ that we're not going to be in awe and utter reverence of him? Is that not the first thing that should be in our hearts? If we are really conscious that we are before the Almighty's one, Elohim, the Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It is a given that when we come into the presence of God, the first thing we do when we approach Him in prayer is to hallow His name, to be conscious of whose awesome presence we are in. As it says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, when you come to the house of God before his presence, be more ready to hear than to speak. For God is in heaven and thou in worth. Therefore let thy words be few. When we are aware of whose presence we are in, we are not so quick to be presumptuous, to self-initiate our own presumptuous words before God. We become in utter awe and silence before him on our faces. And when we come together in the assemblies of worship, the leadership should be the first ones to be on their knees and on their faces and prostration before God. And it's not the outward thing of prostration that is the issue, although I would say in every case we should be doing it outwardly. But that's not it. It is the prostration of our hearts before God. It is not the rending of the garment. It is the rending of the heart that comes when we are in awe before God of whose presence we are in. Be still and know that I am God. We need to learn 
in our times of worship and prayer, the, the first thing is to be still and to know that he is God, to be aware of whose presence we are in. For unto him shall the gathering of the people be, and it should be the assembly. We are not conscious of the pastor leading the assembly. We are not conscious of the people that are singing at the front. We are conscious of the great I am that I am, Ahia, Asher Ahia, in our midst. Until we are lying in our face in prostration with a broken and a contrite heart and humility before God. God resists the proud. How easy it is to be presumptuous and to be singing songs before God when in our midst there is sin. Paul said you should have been mourning because there's terrible iniquity in your midst. Instead, you are puffed up and you are singing. God draws nigh to those that humble themselves. It says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may find grace in the time of need. It says draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It should be a common practice that that is how we enter into the presence of God. It's not a formula that you got to do it this way. There may be times when the Spirit of God can lead in a different way. But the general pattern should be that we are coming into his presence in awe, in prostration outwardly as well as inwardly before God, to become sensitized to whose presence we're in, that we would not be presumptuous but reverent and be in utter awe to worship him with an honest and a broken and a contrite heart that is humbled before God. Because then we will find his grace because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and it sensitizes us to God and each other so that there are those in our midst that are suffering, we are sensitized to them, to identify with them in their suffering. That we may rejoice with those that rejoice and suffer with those that suffer. And so the Jebusite seeks to trample us down by getting us into a place where we are presumptuous and we do not realize that there is pride in us. And we presume things corporately and individually in our times of worship because we fail to humble ourselves and pack, practice the importance of waiting in God, which causes us to cease from our own self initiated presumptions before his presence. I just love waiting on God and becoming aware of how beautiful he is. In his holiness, it says in the word of God, we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. This is how you worship God, in spirit and in truth. You cannot be truthful for before God if you come before his presence in presumption without humility, it is out of the fear of God that humility and honesty are birthed. What is the fear of God? It is a choice to recognize the reality of who God really is 
And that reality is manifested in God's love of who, of what ultimate love really is, who is God. And what is this love? This love is so pure that it is always choosing the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of fulfillment. And as such has no corruption in it. It has such integrity, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to such love that is always choosing the highest lasting good over anything that's slightly less that would have a measure of corruption in it. This is the holiness of God. It is the integrity of God's love that is so pure. It is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to choosing the highest lasting good. It is the holiness of God. It is the defensive aspect of God's love. What happens to people when they see all the suffering around them as happened to Cain, is we become offended at the consequences of God's holiness because we've looked at that instead of the beauty that is behind the holiness of God because it is the holiness of God that protects from all corruption so that there is no corruption in God. He is always choosing the highest lasting good. A consuming fire, as we read in Hebrews 12. For our God is a consuming fire. And it should be that we become consumed in who he is. As King David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, it is out of holiness that comes wholeness. There's no black hole in our being that can be tolerated, which is like a black hole in outer space that is pulling everything in in a destructive way through our choices because we are trying to fill a void in us that is not from God and that only the being of God's Spirit can fulfill. For we were created to be inhabited by God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is asking his people at this hour to worship him in spirit and truth and that's only possible as we choose to fear him which is to choose to recognize the beauty behind his holiness which is the integrity of God's love which lays the foundation for God's love to be expressed without corruption and in creativity that manifests ultimate wholeness, ultimate beauty and goodness that can go on forever in greater and greater enlargements of creativity without end. His love. Oh, one thing have I desired of the Lord. Oh, when you're in God's presence and you see how beautiful his holiness is. 
Yes, it's awesome. Yes, it's terrifying because it's going to consume those black holes in our being that rob us of his presence and of his glory. But we can come before him and we can learn to wait on him until we can see with the eye of our heart how beautiful he is. And then when you see how beautiful he is, you cannot help but open your mouth and be filled with his spirit so that the words that are coming out of your mouth describe the beauty of his holiness like a lover that sees how beautiful that one is, his wife to be or his, her husband to be, that they cannot help but sing a song that describes that love they have for what they are beholding of that reflection of the glory of God in their lover. And so we sing a love song unto God and we prophesy in spirit and in truth. And out of that, we have words that come forth for one another to edify one another. We have become sensitized to a love relationship of intimacy with God that has been established. And it is not only in the recognition of his holiness, but it is out of the light of his holiness that we recognize the greatness of his mercy to us. The God who has such integrity and will not violate the integrity of his love could actually have such an ultimate perfection in his being of love that he could take judgment of the whole world upon himself and of your sin upon himself and suffer more than you a mere creature have ever suffered or will ever suffer and humble himself more than you the mere creature will ever suffer. Or be humbled. It is beyond comprehension that he would have such love for you as a creature. That you would be part of his corporate bride forever. That he would humble himself. God manifest in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Who is the full expression of the Father into the time and space realm. Or ruling in this realm. The Father ruling in personage beyond the time and space realm, seeing the end from the beginning, the originator of all things, fully expressed in his Son, which is the full expression of the Father in this time and space realm. He suffered more than you, a mere creature. And so we recognize, above all, the mercy of God to us which comes out of recognizing his holiness. It is out of the fear of God that we recognize the greatness of the mercy of God to us personally, which causes us to be in contrition and brokenness before him, to receive of his grace, so that we can come before him and say, God, shine your light on me and reprove me of anything, there is. I want you to reprove me. And we can go to our brother and sister and say, I want to humble myself before you and tell you that I love you. And, and if you've been offended by them or they have offended you, to go to them and say, listen, even though they're more in the wrong, humble yourself before your brother and sister and say, listen, forgive me for the way I've been, I ask for your forgiveness. 
One of the things I notice in the body of Christ is how easily we become hard of heart towards one another because of the hardness of heart that is collected on us towards God. Because we are in love with the world, because we don't have this virtue of thirst that is significant in the word Zion. And the reason we don't have a hunger and thirst for God is because we are in love with the world. We are caught up with the gods of amusement and pleasure. There's one man I highly encourage all of you to watch on YouTube. His name is Henry Gruber. I've been watching him. And I so appreciate what an inspiration God's grace is in his life, which manifests such glory of God and the mighty works that God has been doing through this man. And I pray he always is, and I do sense he is, in the place of the humility and the fear of God. That he will continue to be such an inspiration. He's an amazing person, and there are amazing miracles happening through him, and I don't have time to tell you about them here. Can you imagine that he takes a team of, team of people recent to that, uh, I forget the name of it, in Japan, that uh, atomic thing, uh, nuclear plant that in the earthquake was affected and caused contamination. He brings a group of people. They're in the contamination area. They're told to leave. And I believe they got this recorded. Can't be certain. And, and it's up 10 points, really way higher than they should be there. He prays in front of them all. It goes down one point. He prays again. It goes down one point. It went down to zero. Then some of those young people became so bold, they went into the nuclear plant. This is in Japan where everyone is wearing garments because they know they would die if they didn't have it. They went in without garments and had the Lord's communion. And they're all saying, you're going to die, you're going to die. And they had communion. To this day, they're in perfect health. What a testimony to the people in Japan of the power and the glory of God. These things happen when we are in such a place of authority with God that we know that we're not lame because we know we're not allowing in our being those things that would make us lame and that the enemy has no ground to accuse us of being lame so that we are trodden down and powerless. It is time for us to come to the place of having his authority and power in our lives. And it comes when we repent of the gods of amusement. One of the things I noticed that Henry that has been grieving my heart and that Henry Groover said was grieving his heart is that in so many churches, people are caught up. He said he went into the church and he noticed all these young people, they come and young couples and all that. And the first thing they're talking about is the sports game. And these are the things that are occupying their heart. It is an idol to many believers and they need to totally cut it off. Because they're spending more time watching those things than they are seeking God in prayer. We are to redeem the time. The Word of God says redeem the time for the days are evil. That means we don't allow one moment of our time to be wasted. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to have blocks, little blocks of time where we can refresh ourselves with things that are creative and enjoyable. But when people are obsessed or their lives are taken up 
with the gods of pleasure and amusement and sports and all of these things. They are idols and they need to repent of them because God is not going to tolerate those things that are an abomination. Because the word of God says, whatever is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The pride of life is in a lot of these idols. And the word of God says, if any man love, the word of God says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We are commanded not to love the world. It quenches our thirst so that we do not seek God and break through into a life where he can dwell in us in authority and power and use us for his glory. And I'll tell you, that's far more fulfilling than going to something that is so outward and filled with vanity and pride and people are chasing a ball around and gloating over that or whatever it is. God is calling us as his people in these last days to be those that have lavish love for him like the ten wise virgins. Yes, I can go to a charismatic or a Pentecostal church and I can sense God's presence, but often it is at such a low level. And I rejoice with the level of what is happening. But I sense it is so, so far from what it should be that I feel like a duck out of water many times. And so these people can pray hours. They can have their prayer life. They can be doing all the routines and still be in the lot of those that are the unwise virgins because they're just doing what they're supposed to do. They don't have a love relationship that goes the second mile with God to get the extra oil, to have the love relationship that God is desiring. And so there's a lameness. Their hands are hanging down. They're not knowing the triumph of God in the midst of trials because they're not making straight paths for their feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. They're not allowing that which is lame to be healed. The word of God says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So if we do not have holiness in our lives, which means separation from all these things, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust dies, we're not even going to see the Lord. We are to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Because when there's hardness of heart, then what happens is we get drawn into temptation. And those temptations cause us to be used by the enemy. And we have divisions among one another. In the body of Christ, one thing God wants to establish is that we have such a love relationship that there's no hardness between us and God and there's no hardness between one another. I noticed that Henry Gruber was describing how when he was young as a teenager, they had meetings where they wash one another's feet. I think it's an important practice to do it because it gives us an opportunity to break down the hardness that might have collected between a brother or a sister. And so in Henry's case, he was a young teenager and he was upset that this man was being so hard on his sons to make them work all the time. 
And he was just trembling because it was his first time to be among the men where they were going to wash one another's feet. And he goes to them and, and, he, and he can hardly bring himself to go up to this man because they're to go to the ones that they feel they are not fully right with. And he can hardly bring himself to do it, but he gets down and he just breaks before this man and says, I'm sorry. He says, I felt this way about you and I ask you to forgive me. And God did a mighty work in his life right there as a young person. Oh, I know some people don't like the idea of humbling themselves before one another, but we need to be willing to do that. Maybe if you find it too much to wash, you can polish the shoes. I don't know. But let's learn to do these things in order to do those things that will enhance and facilitate the oneness that Christ is desiring us to have with him and with each other in the last days. When there's this oneness, there's the full habitation of God that can dwell in our midst corporately. That brings down his glory, and that's what breaks the darkness over a community and brings the power of God so that we go forth not in some program to reach people, but under the leading and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring his presence, to set the captives free, to preach liberty to those that are in prison, to to proclaim the good news of the gospel that people might come out of darkness into light. This is the secret to overcoming the Jebusite, the accusers of the brethren that want us to be both lame with their false teachings that we can't do all things through Christ that strengthens us. And they themselves are spiritually lame. God is calling us to repent and to let our lameness be healed by cutting off all of those things individually and corporately that we've been doing. And one thing we haven't been doing is coming before God in humility. The word of God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal their land. If we want to see our nation conquered, our community conquered, our city conquered for the glory of God, it happens when we get together and really become Zion. We become the house of prayer. I am asking that God would consume all the dross in my own life so that I'd have far more tears for Christ to be formed in others. I don't have hardly any tears. But I ask for such a heartbeat of God's love in my heart that I can travail in birth pangs until Christ is formed in others. That I can tra tra travail in birth pangs until the body of, comes, body of Christ comes forth as a shining fortress of light in each community and city on the earth as his bride. It is my prayer that this would happen. in your life and in my community and in your community. Don't let hardness collect between one another. Husbands and wives, get into a lavish love relationship with Jesus first until the hardness is broken in your hearts and then wash one another's feet, spiritually speaking with the word of God and also even literally. 
telling one another how much you love and appreciate one another in Christ. And let us do that with one another in the body of Christ, especially with those that we find the hardest to love. Because of our all tendencies, human tendencies, to categorize and denominate one another. God wants us to repent of being denominations. I am writing a book. I have an in-depth outline. And what God wants in a local assembly of believers, I'm in the midst now of just learning the software to publish it. It's just the outline. It's probably in a book will be about 140 pages of outline. It's an in-depth outline in everything that should be in a local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ. We should not be satisfied with anything less than establishing Zion. And so I am writing a book which is a strategy that is from God because I don't want to get in the way of him. I want to cooperate. To conquer your community, your city, and your nation for these last days. So that in each city and nation upon the earth, there is a nation of light that shines bright and conquers that nation so that your nation is healed from unrighteousness. God's going to judge the nations. And already judgment is highly looming upon the terrible corruption there is. There's terrible corruption in high places here in Canada where I live. My prayer is that those in leadership would be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and would turn from their wicked ways that the land would be healed. But that's contingent upon the body of Christ, becoming his bride, becoming his church in these last days. I don't think I'm going to get to Deuteronomy chapter 7. But I will point out briefly what's in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And so I'm going to just go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I don't have, I'm going to try to find the verses here if I have them somewhere in my notes to read to you. And I did an awful lot on Deuteronomy 7. So what I'm going to do is just read the first part of Deuteronomy 7 to you. Um, but before I do, I think I'll just turn to this passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 7, and I will read it briefly. And I will probably do another message on that, maybe if the Lord wills, because I did a lot of work on the meaning of all of that that is in Deuteronomy chapter 7. But I just want to briefly read it here. So, Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy 
unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his sons, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. He shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And I'll leave it there as far as reading Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I just want to bring out some things about Deuteronomy here and these, the meaning of these words. You have the Hittites, which means sons of terror. How many of us have fear in our lives and we haven't overcome fear in our lives? Some of us may even have demonic subliminal torments and phobias, and terror, and depression, and deceit. And you need to conquer the Hittites in your life. Others, it's the Girgashites. Now, all of these words mean something. The Girgashites means clay dwellers. Those that focus on earth, the earthly things, that are filled with unbelief, and only dwell in what can be seen. They are caught up with the loves of the world. They need to conquer the Gergeshites if they are going to conquer and enter the possession that God has for them. There's the Amorites, the mountain people. They are obsessed with earthly flame, fame, and glory. Yes, Amorites means the, the mountain people, they're renowned. Those that are obsessed with earthly fame and glory. The Canaanites. What is the Canaanite? Well, it means trafficker, but also means lowland people. Those that are caught up with addictions and perversions and the temporal pleasures of this world. They're people pleasers, whereas the Amorites are ones that like to control people, that like the fame and the glory of people looking up to them. The parasites, they belong to a village. Their village, that's what the word means, belonging to a village. Yes, they enclose themselves in their own little world and limit their vision. So they have low self-esteem because they don't recognize the potential that is within them. Of course, that's only recognized really in Jesus Christ. They could be possibly lazy. The parasites were probably lazy. They just dwell. They're onto themselves. The high bites. What is the high bites? I'm going to just take a look at that word again. It's down here. It's so many notes on this that I'm just touching on it. Course. It means showers of light livers. The Hivites are those that are always into really living it up. Lovers of pleasure. And I'm not against, I'm totally for 
living a healthy life. I myself am very health-minded, and it's good to feel good. But people can get so caught up in loving pleasure of feeling good and of doing things that are exciting that they live only for those things. And that is where they are. And so they enjoy the earthly inheritance. It's hedonism, the pleasures of this life that you must conquer. And then there's the Jebusites, which means to trample on. They suppress spiritual authority in fellow believers by legalism and other means. So brothers and sisters, God is calling us in this day and age to possess the land and not to compromise, but to become his bride. May God bless you. And may this message not be just something you hear, but you begin to implement in your own life personally and in your church. I ask that you would support me as I am in a difficult time financially because I've been willing to sacrifice the time whereas I would have made a lot of money by now. But I've sacrificed it and because of some mistakes I've made, I'm in debt and I'm asking for you to go to my website at Love Realized and to support me there if you feel so moved and led to do so as I am in a time of crucial need. But I'm trusting God to free me from this debt. I've thoroughly repented of my lack of wisdom and I'm abhorrent at what happened. But now God knows I'm working hard on the internet to get a business going that could make an awful lot of money. But I don't want to be caught up with those things. And they never do take a priority over my time in prayer and the word. I spend my three hours a day on that. But I do need your prayer and your support financially. If you feel so led to do it, it's not nonprofit at this time but it will go as on to the Lord if you are moved to do so. God bless you all. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to minister the word of God and to get this book out. And I want, when I get this book out, people to stand behind that vision that we might get together and conquer our lands and the multitudes in it, that they would become God's possession. God bless you all. Thank you for listening.